calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey everybody, welcome back to the season finale of Sweet, the Ladies' Guide to Bro Culture. My name is Gina Bloom, and this is the podcast where I have uh, one of my favorite funny ladies experience something from bro culture for the first time, and then we come on and talk about it, and then I have someone that is on uh, the show with me to, to defend it, uh, to talk about their experience and why they... Why something that, that they find valuable, whether or not uh, that funny lady does or not. And today is the second half of the discussion of David Foster Wallace's novel, Infinite Jest. That's right. We had to split this discussion into two parts. It's just <laughs> so much to talk about. Uh, if you heard last week's episode, we talk a lot about the book itself, the text, what happens, how it's written, what is written. And today we're going to expand that discussion to include uh, the book's place in society, David Foster Wallace's place in society. Mm. And uh, we're going to go from there. And it's going to be uh, the last discussion of the season. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, yeah, it's not Roadhouse. It's not uh, It's not Hooters. But, you know, it's going to be a fun discussion <laughs> anyway. Um, and uh, back in the studio again uh, for for this uh, second time, is Hannah Corrigan. Hannah, say hi. Hi, everybody. And uh, sitting next to Hannah is uh, Chris Montello, back from last week. Hey, everyone. And here we are. Uh, and yes, we are talking about Infinite Jest. Oh, boy. All right. I think with David Foster Wallace, that, that you know, there's this there's this thing that people try to treat him, treat his books like it's a, like it's a roadmap into his psyche. And... Um, and I think that's that's part of his allure. Mm-hmm. That it's part of his cult is that you know, oh, he died, and oh, he's he'll never write another book again, and all of that. Um, I mean, it feels like it must come from somewhere. Like the mommy and the daddy issues are so yeah, of course, such a huge yeah. part of the book, and like the mother figure is yeah. just um, interesting. Uh, Chris, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that other story brief interviews with hideous men yep. uh, about his exploration of toxic masculinity and about how I these. Sorry, I haven't finished it, by the way. Yeah. So no spoilers. Oh, that's <laughs> fine. I have not They're read it. They're all bad. I have not read it either. <laughs> but basically, it, it's, it's, it's a woman interviewing these various. Um, these various uh, men that are just bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes yep. they're like rapists, sometimes they're just shitty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a quirk. That you mentioned uh, before Hannah arrived. What is the quirk? Well, 
At least, in, at least, okay, so basically I'm just, I'm in the middle of this short story collection because um, I thought to prepare for this podcast I would read other books by yeah. David Foster Wallace. And so um, this story is actually spread out in several parts over the book. So like I haven't gotten to the so, end. All right, so. So, so you have, you have, but as of where you're at right now. Right, yeah. So I, sure. so, so um, at least insofar as what I've seen, it's an interview between a man and a woman, but the the questions uh, from the woman are unspoken. It's just a rep- it's represented by the letter Q. So you have like the man speaks and then there's like a Q and then the man speaks and then there's this assumption that she asked some question that he's now answering. And so it, it, it appears that the woman doesn't have a voice. Um, but my understanding Cute. is... It, my understanding... <laughs> I get th- it. You're aware. I, I think that it, it that might change at some point because I've I've like read things where they're like talking more about this female character. So my assumption is that this this isn't the case for the entirety of it, but at least for the majority of it that I've read so far. Ew. <laughs> get out of here. Get that book and throw it on the fire. Who, where did you get off? No. No. The way you are a man and you write a feminist book is right badass bitches who are cool and have a full life and how are complicated and you know are are not either on a pedestal or a whore or were raped or are simple or symbolic just like write a person who's like the best friend of your lead dude character and they're just like the best friend and they also have a personality yeah but cool, i wonder you did it. but i wonder if it's even his intention to write i mean maybe he would say oh i wrote a feminist book i don't know but but whether attention's beside the point <laughs> yeah the woman her dialogue is literally reduced to the letter Q. She literally has no voice. Yeah. In the and I know that his story. point is that like I'm aware that we're the worst. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Is I like, know he's saying that. He, yeah. But yeah. it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care if you're aware. I, what? Do you want a cookie? Like, <laughs> why would I want to read this? Why would anyone want to read this? Yeah, yeah. We all know there's fucking rapists out there who aren't listening to women's questions. Like, why did you spend so much time writing it down? Yeah. For who? yourself for uh, men who who's gonna read that please it makes me so mad <laughs> i'll calm down <laughs> yeah that I, I mean chris i i do not i never pile on anybody please please don't think that that i'm doing that I, oh no not at all okay yeah you but just like, it. you're I, cool i, I just haven't finished it so yeah no i'm so glad you I'm, I'm so glad you, that's not true just i'm so glad that you brought it up because what a perfect encapsulation of of this writer's uh, approach to women, of like most male writers' approach to women, um, it's literally men talking about how shitty they are, and the woman has no voice. There is something interesting <laughs> though, which I, I want to mention. Her, all of her dialogue is removed. Go ahead. One interesting thing though is that uh, this is a short story collection, of course. So there are other stories, and and there are quite a few though that are from a, 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 a woman's perspective, and one of them. Um, I think it's called I think it's called the depressed person. At least that's what the character is referred to as. And basically it's you can you can imagine it as an autobiographical piece about what it means to be depressed and it talks about um what it is to see a therapist and and sort of like how you develop this relationship with the therapist and how you know, you feel guilty about relying on your friends. It's like very, very real and relatable to you know to anybody who's dealt with mental health issues. And it's so clear to me that you know this is autobiographical in that way. Yeah. But what the interesting thing is that what he chooses to do is that the character in, in is is a woman. He's writing with female pronouns about stuff per- perhaps that he himself experienced. And I think he does this too in Infinite Jest. 
this was one of these things I wrote down so I wouldn't forget. But there's a character in Infigest who's like the depressed character and, and the, the character that gets these like sort of inner monologues or at least these kind of essayistic pieces about depression. In the book, that character in Infigest, that character is a woman also, uh, Kate uh, or something. Um, so he chooses to write about depression from a female perspective for some reason, which, um, and, and then there are these other things. I'm very, like, I was very interested in, in, in digging into these things, specifically where he chooses to use female pronouns. There are a mm. lot of these parts where he's addressing the reader in this book. Like in this other story, he addresses the reader, um, and it's called Octet. And when he addresses the reader, he gives the reader female uh, pronouns also. And so I thought that was sort of interesting. Uh, I don't know what it means. I mean, I, like I read this book on the subway uh, today. And, uh, you know, I mean, this the whole week. And so it's um, not something I've had the opportunity to think about, but just an observation. And I wonder what, what yeah. it means. Is he trying to say, like, I, is, is he projecting that he, he, he imagines that he has a, a female reader because he wants to maybe be inclusive or what's what, what am I trying to say I'm trying to say that he's he's being fanciful like yes there are women that read yeah I mean I think that wishful yeah, thinking it's perhaps yeah I, I don't know if he's if he's quite that like quite like that self-aware about his audience but I think probably you know it could be as simple as just a writerly challenge mm -hmm. you know it's like you he knows he doesn't. He knows he knows there are women in the universe. Sometimes he has to write about them. And he's you know. If he, I don't think he's like a full blown. I don't. Misogynist. Yeah. I, I don't, don't think he's. Yeah. I I don't I think so think either. I just think he's writing what he knows and what he knows yeah. is not at all the experience that any of women have. Yeah. I, I. You know. I'm not. I'm not going to make excuses for his behavior to Mary Carr. But, no, uh, but that's a different. Course. That's a different story. But you know, he's substance abusers. They. They uh, they often get violent and weird and like there's a whole there's a whole narrative there that um, that it just sucks that he never seemingly never got a hold of that. But as far as him writing in the voice of women, I just think I, I think that I think that's just what writers do. Yeah, I think that you know even I think maybe except for Ernest Hemingway, I think most male writers will attempt female protagonists at one point. Uh, to various degrees of success, but um, yeah, I, I think that I think I think the experience of depression is probably universal enough that men and women can like can both experience it in in very similar ways. Mm. But it's, maybe it's a thing where it's like, well, you know, he wants to deflect, and maybe it's like, well, if I'm going to write about depression, I want it to be a woman. Maybe there's a I mean, maybe idea that yeah. women are depressed more often, or, or or maybe he just didn't want it to seem too much like he was yeah, writing yeah, about yeah, himself. Yeah. yeah, it could be a lot of reasons. All right. Um, finally, we're going to lighten the tone. I'm going to lighten the tone here before we all go <laughs> go diving off a cliff. <laughs> this discussion, my lighthearted pop culture podcast, is. <laughs> Taking such I mean, a dark turn for the past one and a quarter <laughs> episodes, but I'm capable of being. Funny. I promise, I'm a comedian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been funny. Tons All right, of times. so sometimes I'm angry. <laughs> so we're gonna watch uh, a sketch from UCB. Uh, it's called uh, "Why Infinite Jest Will Kill Your Book Club." So let's watch that right now. Then we'll have some comments about. Uh, basically, I, I chose the sketch uh, because it's about 
how women, uh, the role of women might react to Infinite Jest in a very heightened comedic way. Mm -hmm. So let's enjoy that in just a sec. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you tell him? Oh, well, I told him more like Shabla because it was such bad wine. (laughs) (laughs) So um, should we talk about the book? Book club is more about gossip and Chablis. What? I didn't read the book. Me neither. When I bought it, I could barely lift it. It nearly broke my back. What the fuck? Kim, it's fine. We didn't read it. You lied to me. You fucked me. You fucked me! I just spent three weeks of my life reading 981 pages. Footnotes. It's all goddamn footnotes. Whose shitty idea was it anyway? Oh, that was my suggestion. Did you see that Upworthy video of the author's graduation speech? So Upworthy? So Upworthy. So Upworthy. Shut the fuck up, Rachel, all right? I am the one who read the nonlinear narrative. Do you even know how hard it is to understand something like that? Fine, Kim. Talk about the book. Fine! I will! So, the stories of addiction are reflections of ourselves and how obsession is... I got sad when I heard it was depressing. I mean, I thought it was a comedy. It's in the title, Jest. We just watched Why Infinite Jest Will Kill Your Book Club, a sketch from UCB Video. Uh, those of you listening may not have been able to make out there at the end, but uh, basically the protagonist uh, weaponizes her copy of Infinite Jest. She throws it through, right through one of her friend's heads and makes it explode. Uh, then she flings it uh, through another friend's lower torso and saws her in half, and then uh, uses it on her third friend to break her uh, legs around backwards. So took a dark turn there at the end. Um but yeah, I, I think that I, I think that's how I think that's how most women would feel about having to read Infinite Jest. <laughs> Maybe most people. <laughs> Maybe most people in general, yeah. Who didn't choose to do it? Sure. It's a. It, it, I think everyone, if they were gonna be asked to read it, if I showed up and you guys hadn't read it, yeah, I would be very. There would have been hell to pay. It's absolutely. A lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Uh, Betsy Sidaro, superstar, uh, really. Uh, took my feelings out and put them right on the internet. Um, I've read (laughs) 
400 of the pages in the past uh, two weeks because yeah, me too. I me too. forgot this was happening. Yeah. So um, I, I think I've been too steeped in it and I that's why I'm knew. also a little schizzed out. Mm. Uh, like literally just my eyeballs feel crazy because it's too many tiny, tiny words. Um, yeah, I, I get it. it. And the subject matter and the difficulty. It is, it's like climbing Everest, but just um, on the subway while you're reading it. Yeah, exactly. I agree. But I chose to do it. And so. But you chose to do it. Yeah. I How long know. did it take you to read it, by the way? Um, I guess about, I guess the whole summer. So like, I guess June to September, maybe. Okay. Um, but what was interesting is that um, the previous summer, I read all of A Song of Ice and Fire in that same amount of time, and that's like multiple thousand-page books. And so it's actually, to your point, you mentioned this earlier, that those books, they Are move good. quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I read, I read five times that much book in the same amount of time the year before. I read Infinite Jest, and now I'm sorry. like, what happens next? Yeah, and this yeah, is yeah, like, yeah, exactly. What just happened? Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. happened before that? <laughs> also, I got to go back. <laughs> also, those, those Game of Thrones books, Excuse me, Song of Ice and Fire books. Uh, they they are somewhat nonlinear because uh, they're 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 perspective chapters. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the overall it's a linear story progression, but you know the the perspective changes from chapter to chapter between mm-hmm. characters, mm-hmm. and there's hundreds of characters with goofy fucking names, and mm-hmm. yet it's very similar. I thought about it a yeah. lot, yeah, but yet you remember a lot of those because goofy it all characters. does come together. You right. know, I mean, it is. All ramping towards this final, yeah, clash, and, and everything is involved in the clash. Whereas, like, there are I, what I feel like we're like three different uh, climaxes. In and this. yeah, and similarly, there's like also like this history in like the Game of Thrones books where there's there's uh, characters that are long dead that you're still hearing about in the same way that you still hear about you know James and Condensa. Mm. Uh, and like people who are long dead, you know, at the beginning of the story, and like how those like plot lines will pay off uh, throughout history. Uh, it's it is weirdly similar. It's weirdly similar. Yeah. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. Yeah. But you, it's funny. Oh, yeah, no, no, sorry. I mean, I think if I recall, even in Infinite Jest, there are chapters that they have a different narrator. I mean, he's writing in like this other yeah. voice, you know, and 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 so. Yeah. yeah, some are problematic. Uh, That's certainly are true. Are speaking yeah. in uh, African American dialect? That's right. English yeah. dialect. That is yeah. true. for no reason. Yeah, that is true. Totally yeah. unacceptable. Except yeah, uh, except that is was made me so uncomfortable. In and truly, like, didn't even serve that much of a purpose. No, my God, no. That was yeah, yeah. And like the trans <laughs> thing was like no. Just having that dude be like, and his boob hit his face. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. You know, I try. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do it. I don't care. Uh, I, I tried really hard to avoid steeply, um, because he doesn't identify as trans. He's just sort of stuck in this disguise. But fuck you, David Foster Wallace, for for writing this character. Basically, you know, he's he's disguised as a woman, and like he's just the butt of every joke about how how unconvincing he oh is, and it's un- how like it's horrible. and how gross he is, and yet he still gets. Like the the football players' attractions because you know isn't that funny? Isn't that this this ugly man dressed as a woman gets you know some like guy all hot for him and like 
it's not a major theme in the book and and the fact that steeply is made to look foolish but doesn't pay a price for it he just he just endures it mm-hmm. kind of mitigates it for me but like it was like i was like cringy it was highly oh, cringy God. for me um for everyone for i'm sure for everyone i mean it's also that the uh, the football player character Oren, who falls in love with uh steeply he's like the worst fucking character in the whole book do you, oh, yeah, do you remember this yeah, guy he's yeah. he the way that he treats women it's similar i guess to the um, the hideous men story. I mean, like he calls them subjects, right? Isn't that? Yeah, and, and he goes after like single mothers. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and, on purpose because you know he hates his own mother, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and 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 you're reminding me of something that I that I read recently. Um, Mary Carr, right? She was yeah. a mother at the time that uh, David Foster Wallace was uh, aggressively pursuing Yeah, her. yeah, and like as we <laughs> yeah. mentioned the fact that she, that he had stalked her 5-year-old kid home from yeah, school. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, um so you one wonders, you know, I mean, it's clear that Oren is a bad guy, but one wonders um to what extent is Wallace exploring his own sort of dark thoughts about women with this character. And what does yeah. it mean that this womanizing rapist guy falls in love with this comical character. I don't know if it's, it's it is a lot, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Well, I, you know, I keep, so I'm kind of been mulling on the nature of genius and the word genius and what it means. And, and George R. R. Martin keeps coming up and you're like, God, so many fucked up things happen to women yeah. uh, in those books. Absolutely. Um, and they're just as complicated and long. I don't know if people call him a genius. It's like, that's not the main, that's not the above the title word. Right. It's like fantasy, uh, you know. I don't know. People don't say genius. I think people it's generally like they just love it. They're yeah. like, I love it. Visionary, I maybe. Yeah. Genre writers generally don't get the word genius stuck in front no, of them. No, and it's funny, and it's like, so why does David Foster Wallace get this genius label and what makes someone a genius? Maybe it needs to be so impenetrable and it can't be so popular and enjoyable. I don't know. And I was trying to think of who is considered a genius and if there are any women that are really considered geniuses in the literary sense. Um, And even if they were, would they ever be allowed to publish a book this unedited? Uh, No. And what yeah. what makes a book, um, I feel like, by a woman be so well regarded? And I feel like the power that a lot of women have is in simplicity, empathy, these sort of things that do not, uh, I think, elicit the idea of genius and yet are just as valuable and important and uh, exciting to read. It is really difficult to try and think of like a female writer, since we're talking about like an author that gets the capital G genius um, ascribed to her. There's certainly like a lot of writers that are highly respected, like Margaret Atwood. Sure. Uh, I think that, as a living writer, she's probably as close as anyone that I can think of right now that is a woman that people call a genius. Um, I think they should. Uh, I, you know, 
but yeah, there's not a lot. Feels like it's supposed to be really hard. It's, it's a hard, yeah. And it's like if you make it too simple, then it's like that's not. Genius. Then that's not genius. It's true. Everyone yeah. can read it, and it's like yeah, that's genius. Then everyone will read it, and then everyone <laughs> right. can learn. You can puzzle thing over it. Then it's, a, then it's mm-hmm. genius. Yeah, I. You know, uh, I've been writing for longer than I've been living uh, in this particular uh, form you see now. Um, And absolutely changed my approach to the way that I viewed uh, viewed the world. Uh, I don't know if that's hormones or if that's just, you know, dealing with life in a dress. I don't know. But um, when I was in college and high school and I, I was worshipful of like these complicated writers i i really wanted to be um someone like whoever i was into at the time uh like kerouac was a big one for me not really the same kind of writer but um you know but very much impenetrable um and i you know i would have a hard time Wanting to write that way, I'd have a hard time wanting to read something like that now. Uh, I, I don't, I'm trying not to be like, I'm trying not to like qualify it. I'm trying not to say it's better. What I do is better now. No, I don't um, think it's better. It's just different. It's just you see the different labels. And yeah. I'm trying to think of somebody who's similar to David Foster Wallace and who I think has a better grasp of it. And I think of Vonnegut. It's like hmm. Vonnegut has the same goals i think to kind of mm-hmm. elucidate hypocrisy and to um through sort of like a magical realism not quite our world different world description reflect our world back to us in a way that's like kind of fun and satirical and i just think he does like a, such a better job at yeah. it it's like yeah. way more fun to read they're shorter they are more accessible they are not so complicated that you want to punch your eyes out which is which I don't know if you could do. Uh, that's a weird phrase. Uh, yeah, I, I, and I think he's so good. I think Vonnegut is a genius in the way that David Foster Wallace like, wants to be a genius. Hmm. And, and I don't know if he's considered one. I, I think so. I think, I think people would call yeah, I think Kurt Vonnegut. Vonnegut a genius. Yeah, I think, I think, he, I think he has earned that, that capital G genius thing. Uh, you know, I, this, we're not going to have a discussion of Kurt Vonnegut, but I know that he also has some problems attached to him as far as like... As I repeat, everyone as does. Everyone does. So yeah. Um, kick everyone out of a discussion for having problems with women. No, There'd absolutely be so not. so few people right, to talk about. Leads me to a question, though. Uh, Chris, how much, how much do you read? Like, how do you consider yourself a, an avid reader? I would. Um, only recently... Um, I mean, despite being on one now, I don't listen to podcasts, and so yeah. my subway entertainment is that I read, and so commuting to work, uh, probably the last three years, I've read between 40 and 50 books each each year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like I'm just con- I'm constantly reading because I'm constantly on the subway, but, yeah. but uh, it's sort of just like a distraction. It's not something like, I don't usually read like and with no distractions. So. How often do you read fiction? Um, maybe like sixty or sixty percent of what I read is fiction, but it's not always the stuff I enjoy the most. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and like, but like, 
when you read fiction, who, who do you typically read? Like, who would you choose to read other than George R. R. Martin? You've already. Uh, to be that. honest, I don't really idolize any particular writers. I kind of, I, I'm kind of like interested in, 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 in criticism and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, I'm kind of on and off reading from David Bowie's list of top 100 favorite books and so those are the kinds of ways that I, I read it's like oh you know you know is there some list of books you know okay. I should I should try to go through this as like a checklist kind of thing and so you know I, I guess that's sort of how I approach it is like right. other people's and opinions like, what were the last if you to the best of your ability what, what were besides uh, what you've already said what were the last like three fiction books that you read um, I have a list okay <laughs> so yeah. I could awesome. actually tell you I'd love that you come so prepared. I know. Well, I just, in my life, I, I write down all the things that I consume pop culture-wise. May I see that list when you get it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's I have movies and books. Let's see. What were the last fiction books that I read? Um, last fiction book that I read... Oh, well, I, I, was, in, I was into Joyce for a bit. I read Dubliners. Mm-hmm. And I read High Rise, the J.G. Ballard book. Okay. And I read um, Berlin Alexander Plots, which is like a Joycean uh, book from Germany in the 20s. Who wrote that? Um, uh, Alfred Doblin. I can't, it's a German name. But I read it because I watched the uh, very lengthy 1980s miniseries and also because David Bowie Oh, right. Yeah, I've heard of that. Um, how many of those books on that list are written by women? Um, I think I think none. But, <laughs> um, I, I'm yeah. not trying to put you on the spot. No, it's okay. We're it's putting okay. David Bowie on blast. Yeah. yeah that's okay. You better uh, wake up out of his grave. Yeah, that's okay. Defend I, I, no, I, I considered this while we were talking about how many books have I read this year that were written by women. So now I'm looking at my list and trying to get an answer. And uh, it's just, uh, it's, it looks like it's just one. Uh, uh, which one? This This year. I read the um, the banana Yoshimoto book oh, kitchen. Oh yeah, I love her. Yeah, she's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to put you on blast, but like I had a sneaking suspicion, uh, yeah. just based on what you were saying, that there were very many, there were very few women on that list. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah, I and again, I not trying. I really, you're cool, dude. Uh, that's not okay. a criticism, but I. No, it's, it's a criticism of our of our. Um, I don't know what it's a criticism of it's <laughs> culture. I think it's a criticism of literature and yeah. the way that, you know, men dominate it. Like you can I have feel an like entire it's also li- a criticism of like uh, that women should be interested in the stories of men because that's the story of humans. Yeah, and that yeah, that's a, true. a book that yeah. is about a the an experience of a woman is for women to read and a man's like very rarely encouraged to be like, Yeah, you should go read you know, a book where the woman is a protagonist and it's about a, the wom- a woman's experience in the yeah. world. Yeah, out of 46 books that I read last year, four were written by women. I mean, that's a, that's a substantial number of books to begin with. That's and a one of them, number of books. One yeah. of them was Infinite <laughs> 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 Uh Oh, no, maybe maybe five by women. I read last year, I read Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, which I really loved. That was one of the books I read last year. Have you read that, Fingersmith? I have not. It was made into a great Korean film recently yes. called The The Handmaid. The Handmaid. Oh, what a great, yeah. what a great movie. But sorry, go ahead. We uh, can talk about movies all day. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's a that's a great film. Also, uh, a dude directed it. But um, that's true. That is true. Um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that you, uh, the most voracious reader that I have ever met, 
Um, have read fully 91% books by men. Uh, I think also, I think mathematically that's, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of wiggle room because, uh, most books are written by men because, you know, that's the universe we live in. Mm. Um, and you kind of have to seek out female writers, but I, I think we all should. Uh, and I think we should all seek out, you know, writers of color and writers of different, like, gender experience and things like that. Mm. Uh, I think that's been, like, the lesson of the past 10 years is that, you know, we owe it to ourselves to do a little bit of investigative work to figure out. Because uh, it's economic. It's like if yeah. the books aren't selling, they're not going to produce yeah, them. And exactly. we need more than just the people it's about to want to read it. Yeah, we have yeah. to take that extra step, basically, to correct it. We have to, we have to course correct. Um, we can't just... Like the market's not gonna is not gonna even out on its own. Like we have to seek out those those um, people. But I think you're a good dude. I think you should. Um, I think you should go and find what Mary Carr's favorite books are. Yeah, uh, no, that's a that's a definitely. A and I think she has a lot of women on that book, on yeah. the, on that book list. Sure, and yeah. uh, get right on it. Um, we need people who read and and we also need when people read we need people who read women and we need people who read queer people and people who read people of color mm-hmm. we're not quite done yet but i this is a, this is a substantial enough topic that i did want to give it some breathing space uh but before i get into that uh hannah we were talking uh while we were running that previous clip uh did you you had some ideas on something you wanted to talk about i think i kind of talked about it yeah just sort of about I think I talked about it and sort of the nature of whatever talking about genius, but just sort of yeah. what um, what gifts do women have that are undervalued uh, in literary society that are to me just as valuable, if not more valuable. Um, and I think I was sort of talking about it in yeah. terms of empathy insightfulness, self-reflection, um, ability to encapsulate an, um, an emotion or a complicated relationship in a way that feels, uh, I don't know, more caring or insightful, I guess, than, than I think what this book <laughs> does um, and how that doesn't seem to ever get the title of genius or get the title of like this uh, is so exceptional and it seems what is exceptional is how dense and difficult and uh, yeah and sort of erudite and um, impenetrable something is mm. and therefore it has value because it is challenging and it's like I think it's very impressive to write something that's really enjoyable and easy and insightful and moving. I, I mean, I'd like to take this opportunity now to actually fully defend at least one aspect of Infinite Jest, which I, I think I alluded to last week in terms of what I actually enjoyed about this book. And, and you know, there are these, I think there are these moments that are surprisingly sensitive and and human especially when it comes to these these explorations of addiction and the suffering of the characters and you know certainly when i read david foster wallace talking about depression you know i I think about how the times where i've i felt that way and i and i think that you know a lot of the book is about you know how do we find the things to continue to move forward to kind of put tracks in front of us and for some people that is you know falling into some kind of an addiction 
you know, for other people, it's, you know, what our career or, you know, it's like about finding meaning and, and which are these very human things. And he writes about this in this relatable way. So, you know, there certainly are these yeah, moments. Yeah, I certainly don't think that he, he lacks um, no, yeah. or an emotional yeah, yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just sort of thinking that he encapsulates it in such a, a, a challenging, impenetrable cave of mm. of words and literary structures and lists and footnotes and all the things that make it so difficult yeah. and exciting for somebody who wants to tackle something difficult. And then just as opposed to that thinking of something that just flows like water and comes really yeah. easily yeah. and how um, that seems to have a little less value. And uh, you know, I, I would highly recommend uh, next time you're at the Strand, uh, maybe check out Cheryl Strayed. Mm. Uh, maybe check out um, Sylvia Plath. And it was so many of course, yeah. women writers write about depression, write about addiction. I, think I kept thinking about the awakening. Yeah, yeah. And how that moment when she just walks into the sea at the end, it's like, and that book is so short. It's like a yeah. hundred pages. And it's so simple and good and also about depression and being lost. And right. And I, I read it in like 45 minutes or something. Yeah. It was like, and then it was done and it was beautiful and, it was all, and I felt like it was almost perfect. And I was like, wow, that feels genius to me. That is like, that you can do it so swiftly and you can just keep it in your back pocket i mean maybe it's like a trojan horse you know in other words david foster wallace knows there are these pretentious douchebags who read very large books and he wants to kind of sneak in some uh you know real feelings and he knows that's the only way that he can do it because that's maybe it's like this is how men write in the 90s uh, this the feelings he has are just depression and de and and, the, yeah. and nihilism i mean that is like not yeah. well yeah they they already have it or it's nothing to aspire to, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and so you can feel like nothing will ever change and you should probably just take drugs forever. Yeah. That's not a message worth disseminating. Yeah, but I think that's not all of it. I think that, you know, he tries to find the beauty in, in, in certain things at least. And, and I know that he talks a lot about in his writing, you know, in, in his essays about how he felt that, you know, the the kind of the the discussion in the 90s was all about irony and and like layers and layers of of irony and like um not allowing you to take things seriously uh um and 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 that comes across in the book um there's a there's a uh the so the the one the one female character in the book that there is she has a radio show and um and I actually I wrote down the uh, the passage here. So um, yeah, so 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 there's this character Mario, who I think we haven't discussed, who's who's one of the siblings of uh, of the Hal. If there's a protagonist, it's Hal, and so his brother is Mario, and he's seriously disfigured, which is very strange the way it's described. But I guess Wallace intends him to kind of be like the moral center of the book because he's just so innocent and like he loves his brother and he's like completely he's got everybody's back and you know he's like just like this little impish like angelic figure and he he's obsessed with this radio show because he feels that the radio show has this um empathy that is lacking everywhere else he says um uh, oh he says 
so the Madame Psychosis is the radio host, and he says, um, Mario had fallen, fallen in love with the first Madame Psychosis programs because he felt like he was listening to someone sad read out loud from yellow letters she'd taken out of a shoebox on a rainy, rainy p.m., stuff about heartbreak and people you loved dying and U.S. woe, stuff that was real. It is increasingly hard to find valid art that is about stuff that is real in this way. The older Mario gets, the more confused he gets about the fact that everyone at ETA, uh, the tennis academy, uh, finds stuff that's really real, uncomfortable, and they get embarrassed. It's like there's some rule that real stuff can only get mentioned if, so, if everybody rolls their eyes or laughs in a way that isn't happy. And so this is sort of like his way of saying like, come on guys, let's get real and explore real emotion. And, and I wonder to what extent Infinite Jazz really does that because I feel like that's what you want from it. But it seems like that's what David Foster Wallace wants from it too because he's saying here like, it is increasingly hard to find valid art that is about stuff that is real in this way. That's like the thesis of a lot of his critical writing. It feels like writing. to him that there's only one emotion, and that emotion is depression and struggle and addiction. Mm. And mm -hmm. it's like there's no joy. It's maybe funny a, a little from its like sure. um, from its satirical qualities, but it's like even the woman is like, I just love how she's so sad, and yeah. I can hear it through the radio that she's like actually really sad yeah. it's like i don't know it's like That's 900 true. pages can we have some yeah, fun can people I, like like each other at all for even one moment i feel that things like require certain amounts of levity that aren't like ironic distance levity in order to that for be sustainable <laughs> to yeah read. no you're right i guess you're right I, I wasn't thinking that it was about they were that that they were sad letters that that was they were being read but i guess it was just more about you know, it's clear that David Foster Wallace has some feelings about um, tr people being in unable to well, express themselves. I feel like themselves. that was like the thesis of the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's yeah. so phony, like yeah, the slackers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Exactly. I was alive in the 90s. It, that was kind of it. But you know what? You go to the bookstore in the 90s and find a woman that wrote very authentically. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not gonna name drop one specifically but I, I just mean that at any point during that time period and, and beyond you could seek out uh some some woman or a person of color that wrote about depression that wrote about all of those things that david foster wallace wrote about and gave it a different spin because they're a different type of human being what i don't think is that i don't think that his readers his bro readers were like this is great stuff about depression I'm going to go see what a black woman thinks about this. I, yeah. I don't think that I don't think that leap is being made there. Um, all right, we knew Dean to wrap this up. We could literally go on we really for an could, entire but I'm fucking glad I'm done podcast. Because I, I I told you uh, six men I yeah. believe on the subway. That's came exactly up and started what I started talking to me. Yes, exactly what I want to talk about. <laughs> yes, that before before we go, I wanted to talk about That's right. why I picked this book in the first place. Why I wanted this to end the season. It's because of the guys on the subway with the copy in their laps. Uh, Hannah, please continue. Y'all ain't reading it on your Kindle, are you? <laughs> Not I mean, maybe you are. I guess I wouldn't know. I really wouldn't know. That was totally rude. But you do seem to love to carry it around. Um, yeah. No, I think it's really fun. It's a real in for them to just say, oh, Infinite Jazz, I read it. And it's fine. I guess they, you know, you'd think you could do that with any book. You think and that. maybe I'm just haven't been reading um, 
books that are <laughs> universal what? enough, but I think I have. Um, and it's not like anyone was stopping me when I was reading, uh, you know, The Hunger Games. <laughs> it was yeah. like, Hunger yeah, Games, yeah, yeah. I read The Hunger Games. What did um, the guys say to you, though? Like, specifically, what would they say to you? The six men? Um, I mean, various things. Usually just like, whoa, infinite chest, yeah. Guys, doozy. Yeah, <laughs> really. Where, how, how, how far are you? And I would answer accordingly. Oh yeah, Oof. hard to get through. Yeah, it took me a while. Yeah, those 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 end notes. I mean, just of course, it's like uh, there's many ways to open up to speak to a lady, and I certainly yeah, you know, it's and it's in um, what's it called uh, the the pickup artist. It's a pickup artist thing where you wear a, a crazy hat, so somebody has a reason to be like, hey, crazy hat, hey, crazy hat. Um, so maybe I'm. I just don't have enough crazy things that people would hit on me anyways. But it was remarkable. I was I, clocking it. Um, yeah, and maybe it's just like they feel good that they finished it or they'll have, there's so many things to say about it and that's an end. But I noticed. And they were all white men. I mean, it, it definitely speaks to this when I – I mean, I, I can say that, you know, I was very excited about being on this show with you. Thank you very much. And I, uh, uh, no, no, and I, I described it to a lot of people, you know, I was, I was like, I'm going to be on a podcast. What's it about? It's about, uh, you know, bro culture, things that men like. And, and they're like, oh, what are you going to be talking about? And I said, infinite jest. And then when I told this to women, they were all like, yes, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> when I told it to men, they were like, either what's infinite jest, which is interesting, or they'll be like, what, 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 what about infinite jest? You, you, know, what, you know, they didn't understand it. Um, and so, you know, every, every, in talking to my, my female friends, every single one of them had some, some story like yours, um, where they, they, you know, were confronted about, about it, either it's that they were aggressively it. recommended the book or, you know, you know, everybody, every woman on had this infinite jest story, I guess. You do not encapsulate the energy of the per person, the platonic ideal of the infinite jester, I think. You seem yeah. very um, nice. Well, I appreciate that very, very much. Um, I was hoping I... you'd be a little more of an asshole so we could really fight. No, no, um, no. But yes, this it just reminds me of everyone I went to college with and you know, especially like freshman year when everyone's in the same whatever section of something and there's those people who like their hands up, their hands up constantly. They want to, their opinion has to get out there and they want to show everyone how smart they are. Um, so it's a very particular subset of people that I have know and have dealt mm, with a lot. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and you want to, and they are smart, but you're not smarter than me. Like <laughs> you're not smarter than a lot of people, but I'm not presenting that as my main quality. And yeah. I think it's certain men who lack anything else interesting or don't believe in their own value of just like being a human being and like being kind and loving themselves <laughs> or being whatever other things and like their the their badge of honor is like but I'm like super smart and yeah. I'm really analytical. Yeah, it's super interesting. I remember <laughs> there's like a uh, 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 subreddit that makes fun of uh, like the incel and like the red pill subreddits. You know, but I'm sure you know, yes. know what I'm talking about. So uh, I remember there was one where it was like they took a screenshot of like red pill or whatever it was. And then the question was like, why don't women have hobbies? 
like women just don't like things. Like this is what they were saying. <laughs> like 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 women don't they don't fish. There's no movies that they like. They they don't have favorite authors. They don't play video games. I don't get it. Like what do women like? All they care about is social media and you know taking selfies and all these things. It's like like from their perspective, I don't know. It's like what is it that. I don't know. Like it's just Except like men. These men aren't incels at all. They're at least the ones I'm thinking of. Yeah, right, right, right. They're just boys. They're just boys I went to college with. Yeah. <laughs> they all have girlfriends. Yeah, they just do. <laughs> it's but just like they. Um, yeah. And they don't think that you. You don't like things. I think it's more that they're just like, and this thing is like the coolest thing, and it makes me cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but it speaks. I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is it speaks to like this sense that like guys. They're like competitive and like think a lot about the stuff that they like. Maybe to an extent that women don't. It's not that women don't like things. It's just that they express those likes in a, in a different, different way. I just think yeah. that that incels are 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 a good like extreme example of, of like male thought. Uh, if you wanna if you wanna sure. if you wanna take male thought to its logical extension, get on Reddit. Get on Reddit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get on Reddit and see and see how see how deep the rabbit hole goes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my gosh! All right, um, Hannah, uh, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, we you. are out of time. It's this, over. This, this, the book is done. The book is done. <laughs> the podcast is done. You've got your life back. Oh, thank you. Go out and dance with all the queer ladies tonight. I, I truly, truly will. Truly, truly, uh, with all of our blessings. Uh, and that's a wrap uh, for Sweet the Ladies' Guide to Bro Culture season one. Uh, my intention is to start the, the second season in November-ish. Um, the plan right now, it, this is tentative, but uh, listeners, get excited. Because I will be starting the season with a giant tome. Uh, the Infinite Just of Action movies. All nine Fast and the Furious movies in a row. Oh, wow. Uh, to kick off season two. That is the plan. Make sure you look out for us. Uh, I I have some plans too, uh, some side projects that uh, may be coming to more banana as well. We're gonna work on that throughout uh, the coming weeks. Uh, just be on the lookout. Uh, once again, uh, I am Gina Bloom. You can find me on all social media at Gina Bloom, J E E N A B L O O M. Uh, you can find all episodes of Sweet the Ladies Guide to Bro Culture right here on the More Banana Network. Uh, yeah, uh, goodness. I don't have an ironic quote. We did it. We're done. That's a wrap. Have a good night.